All right, last week we went over uh, the beginning of creation, in the beginning God. And so by studying that, we learned that only God was here in the beginning. God was here before the beginning began, and we learned that God exists outside of time, space, and matter. Remember the continuum, time, space, and matter. Someone asked yesterday, who created God? They said, I always wanted to know that. No one can answer that question. Well, if someone created God, then who created that person? Then who created that person? Who created that person? You have to have a creator that exists outside of time, space, and matter, as we've already learned. It's impossible to have anything else or else you're chasing a never-ending back, 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 back. Who created that? Who created that? Who created that? And it never stops. So it's not logical, therefore it's not real. In Exodus chapter 3, if you turn there, please, it's the second book in your Bible. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to be looking here at verses 13 through 14. And this is where a man named Moses, and we haven't gotten that far in our study yet, we will eventually, where a man named Moses asked God who he was or what his name was. It says in verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and they shall say unto them, and, I, and shall say to them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? What do I tell them your name is? Verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Isn't that a strange name? I am that. I am. Now the word I am, now of course in English, uh, am is a being verb. Am means you're existing, you're being, right? He didn't say I was. He said I am. How long is God am? How long is God existing forever? He said, I am that I am. In the Hebrew, he is literally saying, I am that ever-existing, self-existing one. I am the one who exists independent of everything. I am self-existing. No one brought him into being. Rather, everything is brought into being by Him. Something has to exist on its own, right? In other words, like we said before, well, who created God? Well, then who created that person? Well, then who created that person? Who created that person? Eventually, logically, therefore realistically, there has to be someone who exists independent of everything else, who simply, eternally is. We could say God is. 
He simply exists. He simply is. God speaking of himself, he said, I didn't say I is, that would be improper. He said, I am. And so that's what he's telling Moses. I am the self-existing, eternal God. So God is self-existing. He is eternal. That's one of his attributes. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 139, or the 139th Psalm, Psalm 139, we'll see something else about God. Psalm 139, that's right, God. That's uh, trying to prove a statement uh, or prove the truth. Hey, verse 8 If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. So how can you get away from God? The psalmist is very pleased that there's nowhere he can go to escape God because he wants God always with him to lead and guide him. But think about it from another perspective. What if you don't know God? What if you don't want God? The same goes true for you. How can you, where can you go to hide from God? You can't go hide in the darkness. The light and the dark are all the same to him, not for us. We have to have light to see. You know, it's just the way we are. Dogs don't have to have so much light to see as we do. We have to have light to see. The darkness and the light are both the same to God as far as knowledge, as far as knowing things and seeing things. So, he says, if I go up into heaven, you're there. If I were to go down to hell, you're there. If I were to, uh, hell meaning death, if I were to um, uh, go to the sea, you're there. We learn about God that God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere at the same time. He's not like us. Remember, he exists outside of time, space, and matter. We are restrained because we were created within the continuum of time, space, and matter. You'll see that when God created Adam. God, created, uh, God made a garden called Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
Adam had a beginning when God created him. He had a location where God put him. And he existed as matter from the earth that God formed him from. Time, space, and matter were all the same way. You, you read an obituary. It'll have the date of birth. It'll have the date of death. It'll have the date of interment. <laughs> it's just that simple where you go back to the matter that you came from. And you turn back into it over time. But God is not limited to space or time. God is everywhere. God sees everything you do. God knows everything. That's the next thing. He's not only omnipresent. He's uh, omnipotent and omniscient, which means he's all-powerful and all-knowing. Turn to the book of Isaiah, if you would, please. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Outside of time and space. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. That means he doesn't get tired, he doesn't wear out. There is no searching of his understanding. That means he knows everything. There's no searching of it, it means there's no limit to his understanding. You see, our understanding all comes from him, and he gives his creatures limited understanding. Man has the greatest understanding. Animals, a little lower than the man. Some animals are just plain dumb. And they're not very smart animals. Some uh, are just mere lowly creatures that don't seem to have much intelligence at all. But there's no limit to God's understanding. There's no limit to God's power. He doesn't faint. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't have to eat food like us. He, he doesn't get tired like us. There's nothing he doesn't know. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, self-existing, eternal. What's the next thing about God? Uh, turn to just four chapters ahead. Turn to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. In Isaiah 44, if you look with me in verse 8, Isaiah 44, 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Uh, and then in Isaiah 45, verse 5, if you'll turn there, please. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. That's pretty plain, isn't it? 
There is no God beside me. So how many gods are there? Just one. Not a bunch of gods, just one God. And the the uh, like the Roman mythology and Greek mythology, and that has, uh, or the the uh, uh, Hindus, they have an, they have thousands and thousands of gods, but it's all gods they make up. And they say, well, we'll you know we'll make this one up. I was reading about one the, uh, yesterday. Um, I, I don't know what religion it came from. I was reading about this particular goddess, and she was the goddess of vengeance. And uh, and so the the goddess is lame, is crippled, so she can't move very fast. But she always catches her victims because while they're sleeping, she continues to pursue them, and she finally gets them. And that was people's way of uh, describing how things eventually catch up to you. <laughs> you know, you eventually reap what you sow, and so they invented a goddess. And since it takes a while to to reap what you sow sometimes, they say, well, she's lame. What kind of goddess is that? Well, who made her? How did she get lame? Did she have a car wreck? I mean, what happened? See, none of that makes any sense. All that stuff is man's inventions. Here, we don't have man's inventions. We have God revealing himself to us as he spoke here. I am the Lord and there is none else. God speaking to man through his prophets. There is no God beside me. What else about God? Turn to the book of Leviticus. That is the third book in your Bible, the book of Leviticus. You were in Exodus earlier, so it's just one book forward from there. Leviticus chapter uh, 20, please. Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. perfectly good, perfectly righteous. 
uh, all good, all loving, God has no deficiencies morally whatsoever. He has no deficiencies in any way at all whatsoever. But here he was talking to Israel morally. Don't be deficient morally because I'm holy. You be holy. This is what you're to shoot for. This is what I want to make you is holy. And so um, our God is holy. He always does everything good, perfectly good, because he's God. He's holy. He has no deficiencies. Uh, look now, if you would, in um, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. If you're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 4. in the spirit watch this now in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him next verse God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth so God is a spirit He's not flesh and blood like us. Why? Because if he was flesh and blood like us, then someone would have had to make, make him from the earth, and he's the one that made the earth. God's spirit. Spirit is real. Spirit is superior to flesh and blood. Because God is spirit, he is invisible. We don't see spiritual things. We can comprehend them, but we cannot see them with our physical eyes because they're not physical things. And so God is spirit and and true worshipers will worship him in spirit and the person saying this was the father's son. And so we see that God is what we call a trinity. And we'll get more into this later when we get into the creation of man. The word trinity is not in the Bible. It is a word that uh, the man came up with to describe what is in the Bible. Um, just real quick while we're here, because I don't want anyone to be confused on this. Uh, turn to the Gospel of John, just a moment here. This was not in my notes that I typed up last night. 
This is going to be... Here we go. Turn to Matthew. Turn to Matthew 3. Those are Jonas and Matthew. Matthew chapter 3 is the first book in the New Testament. We're getting way ahead, but this will help you understand. Matthew chapter 3. In verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Now here's the Spirit of God. Let's circle this. The Spirit of God's descending like a dove. Okay? In other words, the Spirit of God manifested himself in the form of in the in the image of a dove so that people could see him. Okay? But he's not a dove. He's not a bird. Uh, but but he manifests himself. And so uh, or else they couldn't see him. And so it says, uh, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, that is, lighting upon Jesus. Okay? And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Now we circle Son. Who has a Son? The Father who's speaking from heaven. So here we see that God is a Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's descending on the Son. The Son is a person. He's being spoken of by His Father. The Father is a person. He's speaking about His Son and sent His Spirit to descend on Him. And so God is a trinity. He is not three gods. Remember, He said, I am God, beside me there is none else. There's only one God. But this God exists in three persons. We will learn more about this when we get into the creation of man because we were made in God's image. And it will help you understand what we mean when we say trinities. Just now, understand, there is one God who exists in three persons, not three roles. It's not one God doing three different things. Some people say, well, here's how the trinity is. I am a pastor. I am a husband. I am a father. So God is a Father, a Son, and a Spirit. That's not how the Trinity is. I am only one person. I have many different roles. God is one God. He exists in three persons. When we get into the creation of man, you'll go, that makes sense, okay? But we have to get to the creation of man first. Uh, we don't want to get too far ahead. But just to understand, there's only one God that one God exists in three distinct persons of the Godhead, but they're one God. Think the same, believe the same, everything, but they're, they're, they're three distinct persons, all right? Now, let's go ahead now and look in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John, not the Gospel of John, the first John, the first, second, third John is toward the, the back of the New Testament, the first John chapter four. 
We'll see another attribute, the last attribute we'll study today about God. The best attribute about God. First John chapter 4. Just look it up there in the front. Take it right to that page. same Bible, the same page numbers, they just say turn to this page. <laughs> we could do that. Maybe maybe the next class I'll just hand out Bibles. <laughs> so you turn this page and, you know what, that may be a thing. That may be a thing. Yep. Alright, so First uh, John 4, look at verse 8 with me please. Verse 8. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Say with me, for God is love. God is love. God is holy. God is love. God is perfect. God is eternal. Aren't you glad that someone who is all-knowing, all-powerful, you know, is fortunately all loving, <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean, you take a person. There are people in this world right now. If they were to be all powerful, they'd destroy so many people. And but God, even though He's all powerful, He loves. He's perfectly loving. Now, He's also perfectly holy. Remember, He's just. He's righteous. He's in every way morally perfect. So being a perfectly holy God and a perfect loving God, He loves. But He loves in the way that He wants to make people right. He doesn't love in the way that He will accept people who are wrong. You see? He will not accept your wrong. Because the moment He accepts imperfection, the moment He accepts unholiness, now He would be unholy Himself. And so I'm glad that we have a God that God, just because God loves doesn't mean he tolerates everything. How many of y'all would like to think that you're a person that loves people? Right? That's pretty much every hand in here. And, but if someone were to uh, decide that every morning they, they thought it was, it was you know, good for them to get up, go on to Walmart, strap on a, a gun, and and kill anyone that uh, they didn't think met the standards of life they needed to be. So they just went and they just killed people every morning. Would y'all would y'all feel good about allowing them to do that? No. But you're loving, right? So love does not mean you have no standards. It means that you care about people. But because you care about people, if someone 
hates people and tries to kill those people, wouldn't you say if a person truly loved, he would try to stop that person from harming those other people? Absolutely. And God's the same way. God loves. He's a perfect God, a loving God. But God has perfect standards because he's perfect. And he wants to bring us up to where we need to be and make us what we want to, what we we're supposed to be, what we were created to be. But at the same time, he will never tolerate uh, badness. Okay, that's a way to put it for now. We'll get into this, but sin is what we'll end up singing as later. Now, we got a, we got a few minutes left, and so let's get into uh, the next thing. And that is this. God not only created the heavens and the earth, which we'll get into more next week, God loving, but God created inferior spirits to him. God created people, animals, out of flesh and blood like us, trees, vegetation, we'll get into all of that. But God also created a higher order of creation, and we call those, and the Bible calls those, angels. Angels were created before man was created. Okay? Angels. The word angel means messenger or dispatcher or someone who's dispatched. Not a, not a dispatcher, but dispatched. So as a truck driver, you know what it means to be dispatched. As a former highway patrolman, I know what it means to be dispatched. You have a dispatcher who sends you out to a certain place to perform a certain task. Angels are dispatched by God. They're his messengers, his servants. Okay, And uh, if you'll turn to um, uh, Psalm 103, and if, if you don't have time to turn there, I'm going to try to get, out, get us out of here. Uh, in about 12 minutes. Then look on with your neighbor or just listen and I'll read it to you. Any Psalm 103, you can write it down in a notebook if you want and go back a bit later if you like. The Psalm 103, verse 20. Psalm 103, verse 20. Talks about the angels that God created. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening into the voice of his word. So what did we just learn about angels there? They excel in strength. They're stronger than we are. Uh, they do his commandments. That's what they were created to do. They hearken to the voice of his word, whatever God tells them to do. How many angels are there? Revelation 5.11. Revelation is the very last book in your Bible. Revelation 5.11 tells us something about these angels as far as their numbers concerned. How many angels did God make? Revelation 5.11. Isn't it neat that you just don't have to listen to God talk? We actually go and we see what the Bible says itself. This is what the Bible said. I was talking to a couple of people yesterday and, and uh, the man thought I was going to hell, thought I was a false teacher. And, and uh, I invited him into my home so I could... And he came knocking on my door and 
you're trying to, you know, invite me to a church that says you got to do all these different things to go to heaven. And I said, sir, no, I don't believe like you. So I wish I could have a Bible study with you. I said, come on in. Come on in. Well, I, I didn't bring a Bible with me. I got one for you. Come on in. Hand in my Bible. And uh, we got through talking, and, and it was really sad, you know. I kept showing, pointing him to scriptures. He kept giving me illustrations. I kept pointing him back to the scriptures. He kept giving me illustrations. Like, well, what if I had a check, or if I sent you down the store, he'd give me illustrations like that. And I said, sir, do you notice that every time I speak to you, I point you to what God's word says. When you're speaking to me, you're giving me illustrations that you come up with. I said, that's the difference. And, uh, and it's real sad, but uh, that's what is so wonderful in here. We can point you to scriptures and let you see for yourself what God's word says. Revelation 5.11 And I beheld, and I, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. There's a bunch of angels, Okay. The thousand, thousand, I'm talking about the beasts and the elders, those were already numbered. We're talking about the angels. Myriads of angels. Second Peter 2 eleven. Second Peter 2 eleven. Appreciate Brother Eddie taking notes while he does. Again, if you can't get there in time, just and, I, and Brother uh, um, <clears throat> Jess as well, I see that too. Then just write the note, write the scripture reference down, and you can go uh, look it up and get home. In 2 Peter 2 11, the Bible says, Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not really accusation against them before the Lord. So, your angels are greater in power and might than we are. Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Psalm 104. What is an angel's composition? As I said before, God is a spirit, or God is spirit. He created angels also as spirits. In Psalm 104, verse 4, the Bible says, Who maketh his angels spirits, spirits, his ministers of flaming fire, which is a, a whole other topic in and of itself. It doesn't mean they're on fire or anything like that. But they're flaming fire in, in, in another sense. That's a metaphor. But his angels are spirits. In the New Testament, demons are called unclean spirits. Okay? And uh, what else about angels before we move on? Um, there's two categories of angels. And so when you when you come to angels, angels are always, always in the Bible, referred to in the masculine gender. They're not male and female. They're not even male but they are in the masculine gender. Masculine gender is the uh, the the 
in whatever case you say the original gender or whatever. They're, it's, it's always in the masculine. They're not subservient. They're not, uh, you know, to another category of angels. So it's in the masculine. Every time you see God referring to himself or someone referring to God in the Bible, it's always in the masculine. All right? And so... Uh, Angels always the masculine gender. If you see a picture of a, a woman angel with flowing wings on it, it's not biblical. Somebody made it up in their head. There's nothing like that in the Bible whatsoever. Angels are always full grown in the Bible. They're spirits, okay? So they don't come from mommies and daddy angels. Uh, they come from God created them, and they're spirits. They're full-grown, but they never had to grow to get full-grown. Does that make sense? They don't go through the growing process. So if you see a little, little baby, half-naked baby with little wings and stuff, that's not real either. That's not in the Bible, okay? Angels are exceedingly strong, uh, superior to us. They're spirits, and there's two categories of angels, not two sexes, not two genders of angels, but two categories. And those categories are cherubims, or cherubim, depending on what age of English you're using. But today we say cherubim, or in the singular, a cherub. Make sense? And there are also seraphim. Seraphim, or in the singular, a seraph. Okay? That's the two categories of angels. All right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. First book of the Bible, Genesis 3. says, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. Now they would say cherubim, but cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So we see that cherubims are like guardians. They guard. They protect. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 6.6, 6, we do not have time to turn around much like you're really fast, but I don't have time to wait because we're running out of time. Isaiah 6.6 6 says, then flew well, they fly, they do fly. One of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. So you're looking at two different categories of angels, just like you would have a policeman and a fireman. They, they, they just perform different roles and different functions. Now, before, I believe before God created the heaven and the earth, uh, from what I can tell in Scripture, that's when God made these angels. Of course, God made them all perfect, because God is perfect. He's holy. He made them holy angels. The problem is, one of the angels, an angel named Lucifer, whoops, okay, I thought it, okay. an angel named Lucifer, decided to rebel against God, his creator. The word Lucifer means light bearer, or bearer of light. 
believe Lucifer was created to bear the glory of God as a leading angel. Um, perhaps a head angel, you know, the head angel. And Lucifer was created so magnificently, so beautifully, so wonderfully in that spirit realm that uh, he began to get prideful and he decided, you know what? I'm not happy in the wonderful place God created me. I want to take God's place. I want to be God. I want everyone to listen to me, which is not possible. It's not even logical. But, uh, but that's what happened. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 14, the Bible speaks about what happened to Lucifer. Which says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Look here now. I will be like the Most High. Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend. I will exalt. I will sit. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. Five times. Lucifer said in his heart, I will. I will. I will. What? Was Lucifer wanting to accomplish his will or God's will? He wanted to accomplish his will. He said, well, then God made a bad angel. No. Remember God, above everything else, God is love. God's love. <coughs> and here's the thing. Tanya, do you love Gabriel? Yes. Yeah. Do you love Tanya? Yes. Most of the yeah. Who who made you love him, Tanya? God. Well, yeah, that's true, but... He made me love him. Huh? He made me love him. Yeah, well, that's true. But let me ask you this, let me put it this way. If someone were to come to you and say, Tanya, I want you to love somebody else, and they wanted to... Maybe the uh, maybe some guy over the, the drug cartel or something in Mexico, and they kidnapped you and they took you and there's the leader of the drug cartel in Mexico and here you are in Mexico and they said, Tanya, you need to love this man right here. Can they make you love him? No. What if they put a gun to your head? No. What if they offer you tons of money? Can that make you love him? No. The thing about love is love is a choice. That was a choice. And, and, and a lot of people have found out the hard way. You can't make somebody love you. You can love somebody in 10 years into a marriage, 20 years into a marriage, or however long. So they say, I don't love you. And they leave. No matter what you do, you can't make somebody love you. And so the thing is, in order to love, you have to have the ability to choose. And so God created his angels, and he created us with what we call free will. The ability to choose. Because our ability to love God hinges upon our ability to choose God. Does that make sense? 
If, if, if you found out that this whole time that Gabriel's been living with you, if you found out this whole time, maybe through looking through some records or something, he's been getting payments from a family trust where they paid him and made a contract with him that if you'll act like you love time and you'll stay with her, we'll pay you so much money a month until you die. Would that make you feel good that the only reason he's been there is getting paid off? No. Now it's not by choice. You want him to love you on his own. Even if there is no money, better or worse, death do your part, right? Sickness and hell, that's real love. The death of Lucifer chose to not love God. He chose to reject God who loved him. And listen, if you've ever been through this before, you know what it's like. To have someone who, who you love reject your love and not love you. It hurts terribly. And this is what happened to God. Lucifer rejected God's love and tried to stir up the angels uh, in heaven to follow him instead of follow God. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, we don't have time to turn there, but you write it down. Jesus said, I be, that is God the Son said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So Lucifer, whose name meant light bearer, his name has now been changed to Satan. Sometimes he's called the devil. It basically means an adversary, our enemy. Someone who trips us up and in the, in the, comes against us. And we estimate in Scripture that he ended up convincing about a third of the angels to follow him. They are now called demons or unclean spirits or unholy spirits. But they're spirits nonetheless. And, uh, and so we have the, the devil is an angel. Uh, demons are angels who have rejected God, been cast out of heaven, and, uh, and who now uh, do occupy the earth. And, uh, and they're very, very real. And that's what drives a lot of the wickedness that we see today. With that in mind, we're now set up for when we get to the creation of man, we can understand what's going on. And Lord willing, we'll get back to the creation, the next stage of creation in the Bible, next week. All right. Any questions?